I don't know about you, but I have been to three different arenas today. I just thought I would check them all out before coming here, you know. So thank you for your patience, um, and thank you, Ellie, so much for um, entertaining you while I was setting up. So um, we are talking about ES 2019 features today. How many people are using uh, ES 2019 features now? Oh, nice. Good. I can, I can show you something then, right? Um, the agenda that I want to go over today um, is basically, first, I want a little itty-bitty intro to give you a little more information about um, ECMAScript and ECMA in general. So and then we'll talk about the minor features, the major features, and then I have a teeny tiny outro. Just kind of you know, clarifying that we're going to really focus on the features with a little bit of information on back and front. Um, who is this person running on the stage? <laughs> and immediately yelling at you. My name is Tara Manixic. Uh, I'm a developer advocate at this great company called Progress. Uh, Google developer expert, helped start uh, Cincinnati Node School and Women Who Code. And uh, the mother of this awkward ball of fluff, uh, Toshi, Tosh Magosh. But um, as of five months ago, I am also the mother of this uh, adorable chunk of flesh, Nico. Um, yes, I did poorly Photoshop my baby onto me for a picture, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but uh, thank you. <laughs> Don't worry, this isn't a Photoshop talk. Um, and uh, his thighs are actually that big. Those are not Photoshopped. He'll be here today, so you can fact check me later. Um, but let's go ahead and jump right in. I want to do a little bit of an intro about ECMA and ECMAScript. So, like any good superhero, I feel that ECMAScript has an origin story. And it starts out with ECMA International, which is actually, um, I learned doing this, I never cared what ECMA stood for, I probably should have, but um, I wanted to look into it now, and it's actually, some of you may know this, it's European Computer Manufacturers Association. I am very glad that we shortened it. Um, and this started basically in 1960 because they saw how much we were using computers and that it needed to be standardized. So that's where ECMA came from. And from then, um, we knew we needed a standardization for JavaScript. Uh, and that's where ECMAScript basically came into play. And Sun, which is now Oracle, kind of had the, um, the rights to Java. Have you heard of Java? No? Okay. Um, so they had the right to that. And that's, that's probably like the only association that you'll see of Java and JavaScript. Um, and so since that was taken, they went with the corresponding um, standard host, ECMA, and made ECMAScript. So now you know. <laughs> so like, again, any superhero stories, we also have these pitfalls and weaknesses that quote unquote build character, right? And for ECMAScript, that was ES4 abandoned. Um, this was the version four of ECMAScript that there were just so many political differences um, in the group that they just abandoned it. They couldn't release it. They couldn't get past their differences, unfortunately. Um, and then another one is what I like to call ES6 years. Yes, that is the pun. <laughs> it took almost six years for them to release ES6 after the version five. 
um, in 2015. So from about 2009 in December to 2015 in June um, is just how long it took because it was so bloated. There were so many things they were so excited to release to JavaScript uh, standard that it took quite a long time. But again, like the superhero Arch, um, from those ashes, we get some great things. For instance, TC39, which is the technical committee, really started to uh, try to try harder to work together and uh, reform and do a lot of um, do a lot of work to make smaller packages come out. After that, uh, ES6 was so big, they decided let's do something more manageable. Like developers, right? We break everything into smaller pieces so it's more manageable, and that's what they did with these new um, after ES6. All the releases after that were much more manageable. Um, so just a real quick recap. I just want to say what the proposal process is, because we're talking about all stage four proposals. And um, these, I always think I know what these mean. And then I'm dumbfounded when I, get, when I remember the actual process of what these proposals are. Because there's stage zero, which is the straw man, free form, bringing in the idea. Uh, stage one, because you know you have to start at one, because we're programmers, uh, or start at zero, sorry. And then stage one is the proposal, where you have the champion of that proposal come in and advocate for this idea. They bring in APIs. Um, they talk about APIs, about semantics and algorithms. Um, and then version two uh, is actually a version of what will be in the specification. And if it makes it to stage two, you have a very good likelihood that it's going to make it all the way through. But yet, there are still two more stages. Um, stage three is it's mostly finished. This is the candidate uh, stage. And it's mostly finished, but needs feedback. And this is the one that's funny to me. Stage four, which we'll be talking about, um, is finished. And I have quotations around that, because at this point, it's, it's, going to, it's ready to be included in the standard. But they need to uh, get test 262 acceptance. Um, they have to do two-spec uh, compliant shipping. Um, the implementations need to pass the test. Significant practical experience with implementation needs done. And the ECMAScript spec editor must sign up on the spec edit. It sounds like a lot, but as we see, we have a bunch of features coming out. And they did a good job bringing them over to stage four. So. Um, Let's go ahead and uh, jump into the minor features. So uh, first, I just want to let you know what we're going to do is basically uh, give a little high level what the feature is, the name of it, who brought it to, uh, who's the champion of it, uh, or the champions, um, and then a little code snippet, and then a little bit about the compatibility. So first, we have trim start and trim end. Has anybody here used trim left and right? Oh, nice, some people. So this is a pretty self-explanatory in a way. Um, it's basically taking white space away from the uh, left or from the start or the finish. It used to be called trim left and trim right, and that is supported in many browsers. But now this is the new alias because not all languages are, you know, have a left and right or are, they have a left and right, but some have different ways of approaching it. So start and end just make much more sense. Um, and then uh, basically, this helps you kind of classify what is white space as well, whether it's a hard enter or a space uh, tabs. So there's a whole process to it. But it is as simple as this. 
Um, you're basically taking a string that has uh, spaces around it. So a use case of this is, say, uh, you're filling out a form and um, basically how it goes, maybe in a CSV or something, you're getting too many extra spaces. So you need to trim it down. You get trim, start, and trim, end. Um, so you see start, finish, spaces removed, and then trim it takes both off. And there you can see the ca compatibility is pretty good across the board, um, i.e. is a no. Who to thunk? Um, anyway, uh, so symbol prototype description. This is basically a string parameter that you can pass on to symbol to, and you don't have to convert it anymore to a string. And this basically gives you the getter now for the symbol's description. When they made this, um, it's basically their thought was to help teams communicate across code and communicate their intention for the code. Uh, and I read a comment by um, Gross, uh, Joe Gross, Grossberg, who was saying, like, shouldn't we use documentation for this? So it may be polarizing um, which you figure, should you have docs for this? Should this be something in your code? I always figure the more places we can put information uh, that isn't comments, the better. You be the judge. <laughs> so this is what it looks like. Basically, we have uh, created a symbol. We passed in a string that is now the description. And when we log it out, we have symbol log that contains that parameter. Or we can say, uh, use the getter.description and get just that string. Uh, this, again, is um, pretty available. I got these compatibility charts from um, MDN because they fit really well in slides. <laughs> but, um, but some of the information wasn't exactly right. Like, this is available in Node 11, and they had it, um, they had it as, a, uh, as, as marked as no. But then I realized above their compatibility charts, they have a link to uh, GitHub, so you can correct any compatibility errors that you see. So. We have, just have to be proactive. Um, OK. Optional catch binding. Uh, do a lot of people out here use try catch much? Yeah. It's a, we're supposed to, right? <laughs> um, so this is basically in your um, catch clause, having a parameter to bind, uh, bind to the exception. And um, a lot of people. We're using this and throwing it away, because it, it would cause an error if you didn't have this parameter. Uh, a, a common use case for this is, say, you're using uh, JSON parse. And you know that it's, it's going to throw an error if it's not JSON. But you don't care about the error. You just want it to parse anything that's JSON. So you throw it, you log it, you just don't think about it. So in their minds, um, this was superfluous, right? It was something that you were writing. It was extra keystrokes. Like, who has time for extra keystrokes, right? Uh, so they decided to get rid of the param. And this ended up being one of the most controversial minor features. Uh, but we will get to that later. Um, this is basically what it looks like. Like I said earlier, you're passing a parameter to your catch clause. And then you know, usually you'll want to log it out or get that information, do something with it. Now you can basically uh, pass up that parameter completely. It is, um, it's, again, you can see the chart. I could also just like pause and let you look at the chart for a second <laughs> instead of talking over it. But this is where um, you know that is, is an interesting situation when the most active issue just says, why? <laughs> it's like, OK. And it's, so, uh, a lot of a lot of 
what I do is read through issues, um, be it like with uh, node modules or with ECMAScript. It's really, even just as a, socio like a society, uh, like view into society, these are some really, really interesting um, thoughts going into how we build our and standardize our language. Like it's very inspiring to see how much people care about it because we use it every day, right? Um, so I highly recommend looking into this, but basically how it started um, is the person that opened the issue was saying that um, they were pretty scared, let me just say what he said, they were pretty scared that allowing this may make devs forget about error handling. I mean, does everybody here do a good job handling their errors? Silence. Um, so this is basically, he was saying it's making production code untraceable and uh, that he thinks that errors should be logged I and mean, we should be considering these errors. We shouldn't just be swallowing them. It could lead to just messy coding, irresponsible coding. And uh, a few things uh, of the comeback is basically that this is making it more intentional. So if you're leaving off the parameter, you know you're leaving off the parameter. It could be even riskier to leave it and so that people just automatically throw that log and don't think of it. Um, and there are some, some cases where you, it's what you are getting back you can't log or it is just holds up the program. So what you're doing here is kind of taking the road of you know, the least evil one may say, um, and you're quietly swallowing your errors and you basically your application can perform its main job and you're not compromising the ability to troubleshoot. Like you can always add this. It's not an option that you can no longer add the parameter. Um, okay, so uh, we'll go at a little bit of a quicker pace to get you all moving, but um, prototype.sort is now stable. This is an ECMAScript spec and it made me immediately wonder what is stable. So this is basically, um, it's a stable sorting algorithm. If you're taking, uh, if you're looking at a list and they have the two keys have the same value, they should, after sort, be in the same order, which I'll show you in the code. Um, one quick note, no pun intended, but this pun, cut to the quick, is intended. Um, it's getting rid of quick sort and instead uh, using Tim sort, which was made by Tim Peters in 2002. And uh, he's basically making it more proficient by, uh, I wanna make sure I get this right, he's using binary insertion sort and improved, uh, improving the merge sort, uh, which actually allows it to work way better with, um, with arrays that are already sorted. With, so, it's a very interesting read and another one that I highly recommend digging into one day while you're waiting for the bus or on the train. Um, but this is what it looks like. So you see here we have uh, multiple, multiple uh, keys of A that have varying values. Um, in this order on top, it goes ACB. So when we sort it by age, we should get ACB in that same order and it does, it does that now erwer. So, there you go. <laughs> Moving on to major features. Um, again, we are going through this pretty quickly and please feel free to come uh, chat with me after. I love talking about this stuff. Um, I'll even do another little talk if you want. <laughs> but, uh, so flat and flat map is very exciting. Is anybody using flat or flat map yet? Yeah, right? How, how great is flat map? Um, 
it's, it's funny how exciting it is to get like, what features are coming out next? Uh, and, flat, and flat map were definitely ones for me. So flat is basically, um, it's recursively concatenating to the array dependent on how many, in your parameter, how many levels you're telling it to go down. And it's based, and then flat map, very simply putting, it's kind of taking map and then flat. Uh, so you're mapping through an array and then flattening it, flattening it to a single level array. Um, but of course, there is more to it. With map, you are getting exactly one output element. It's a, it returns a single value. And with flat map, um, it's translated to zero or more output elements. Um, the interesting thing is it can also return non-array values, but that is less common. Then there is my favorite part of it, which is Smooshgate. Did anybody hear about Smooshgate? <laughs> so, I mean, okay, again, we go to the T after the code. So, um, first of all, with flat in general, so you see we have um, an array with a nested array with an array inside of it. So there's three levels here. So if we just do flat, it defaults to one layer, and we have that array that's still nested in there. But if we pass two to that original array, it nests it all down or flattens it all down to one. And then with flat map, you're basically, with map, you get an array of arrays. Flat map, you can get back just a flat array of those. So, Smooshgate. Um, the thing to me about Smooshgate is uh, this, to me, is like a visual representation of when I tell really corny knock-knock jokes. Like, there are 74 thumbs down on this guy's joke. <laughs> so, um, Poor Michael, and he's, he's actually the one that is brought, is the champion of uh, Flat Flat Map, or one of the champions. And um, so what happened here is MooTools had a polyfill of Flatten, and they wanted, uh, ECMAScript wanted there to be Flatten as the name of this feature. So I took, my husband's also a programmer, and I told him about this, and he was like, what's MooTools? Which is a lot of people's reactions. Um, so basically, you know, you're taking kind of legacy uh, code and it's stunting the progression of what people consider the progression of code. So there was a lot of um, discussions around this, uh, basically making sure that we are adapting correctly, that we're not leaving anybody behind. Um, so they changed it from flatten to flat. As we see now, we have flat and flat map. Um, and there is no smoosh. There was never a smoosh. There may still be a smoosh, but probably not. Uh, Compatibility-wise, this is where it is available. All right, last but not least, we have object from entries. Um, I actually used, uh, I'm a big fan of object.entries, uh, but object from entries is taking a list of key value pairs and converting it to an object, which is the opposite of object.entries. Um, but these siblings actually work really well together, and a good representation of that is um, uh, Axel Rauschmeier in his uh, duality.com website. He actually looks uh, at object.entries and object from entries and uh, utilizes them to recreate different functions from underscore. And um, I'm a huge fan of that. When I saw that article, I was really excited because I was trying to explain to someone how. Um, one of the biggest points of advancing the language of making the standard is uh, we make all these shortcuts or 
I would hardly say shortcuts actually, very intricate libraries <laughs> to make up for what we may see as shortcomings in the JavaScript language to do the job that we need to do. Um, and so underscore was one of those libraries. And again, not a shortcut, lots of work, <laughs> lots of really great work in the underscore library. And now we see when we bring something to the language like ob um, object from entries, how we could advance the language to then uh, make it so we wouldn't need this other library. And this is what it looks like. Uh, basically, we start with an object that has key value pairs. When we do object.entries and pass that object in, we can get an array of arrays. Um, and that helps us iterate through there, use all of our array functionality on it. Um, and then when we want to take it out of there and treat it as an object, we uh, do object.fromEntries and put those entries in to create the object. And this is where that is available. Again, it is available on Opera no matter what MDN says. Um, and then uh, real quick, we won't go over these, but again, uh, if you want to have a lunch conversation with me, um, I, there are some really interesting things I found out digging into, um, the, looking into well-formed JSON stringify, uh, the JSON superset, uh, which in, uh, somebody was saying, some, when people in Spanish-speaking countries say JSON, some they say Joteson, and I think that's beautiful, so I just had to pass that on. Um, but anyway, then there's also the prototype two-string revision. Um, with looking into these, I dug into uh, Unicode and ASCII a lot, and there's a lot of really cool uh, history to that. But for now, um, I will just do a little teeny tiny intro to say that on this stage at 1400 hours, you will get to see the amazing TC39, part of the TC39 group, um, to answer all of your questions um, that you may have about what's coming, what have been, how to use things, um, and their decision making. And I also just want to, I know I personified these uh, two groups as superheroes, but I am indeed very grateful that they put the time and energy into um, basically giving us a better coding experience, or at least you know putting their efforts into trying to give us a better coding experience and make JavaScript better for us. So I am very grateful, and I am very grateful um, that you are all here today. So thank you all very much. Thank you. Yeah.